Welcome to uh, another episode of Englishman in New York, a marketing agency podcast. How are you, Will? Today's episode was different and hysterical, unexpectedly, I think. Well, it, like, I guess it's just like, you don't expect when you speak to the global CMO of one of the biggest CPG businesses in the world, General Mills, to be speaking about the cost of a packet of hobnobs um, or whether they like PG tips versus Yorkshire tea. But I mean, that very much is the MO of our podcast, isn't it? We'd like to keep it light. I, I thought and... Dua Lipa, Dua Lipa reference on his Spotify playlist. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my God. There was so much, there was so much that went on. I think we've got an, a great new question yeah. to ask all future podcast guests, which is, I mean, I, I refer to it as an iPod, which I'm extremely embarrassed about. Like I'm 30 years old and I'm like, what's on your iPod? But um, yeah, talking about Dua Lipa and then tentatively asking if Haim are like some unknown band that he's just discovered. I also just want to take a second to <laughs> read out a poem that I received from Ivan. His out of office is um, quite simply magnifique. So I send him an email just to give the context to ask him for his address because I want to send him a little thank you. I get this bounce back, this out of office. I'm just going to take a... a a, a, a quick minute to read it out. And hopefully I'm not going to stumble upon my words. The last time I ever read a poem. Are you going to do his um, accent? And, oh yeah, God, he's from Leeds. He's from the North, isn't he? No, I'm not going to do the <laughs> accent because that's just, he'll hate me for that. Okay. But in the North of this great nation, I am doing isolation on the shores of Lake Superior, where this lockdown might be cheerier, where the skies and trees and water, two loud sons and one small daughter will remind me life's for savoring though the virus has us wavering. We can take a week's vacation and regard our situation and enjoy each happy, fun day. I'll be back to talk next Monday. Just I mean, amazing. What, what, who is this? I mean, geniuses on all levels. Um, I think professionally, that sets up the pod perfectly. People will want to know more about this man now. 100%. So without further ado, here is Ivan Pollard, um, global CMO of Englishman... Oh, <laughs> General Mills. Here he is, <laughs> Ivan Pollard, global CMO of General Mills. <laughs> fucking hell, Will. I'm serious. Move to a new city. We're moving to New York. But, uh, I should probably buy a place in the city first. You're here for business or pleasure? Hopefully both. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, Ivan Pollard, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, gentlemen. How are you? Lovely to have a Brit on. It's great. We love having an expat on. A Brit on? Is that like a, a Britain or an ancient <laughs> Brit on? It's Fern Britain, the TV personality. We'll have one of her instead. We, yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear a little bit about um, you and your life and uh, times living in America. And the, the way we kind of normally like to work it is go straight from the beginning. And I think you told us offline that the reason why you're in America is because your girlfriend ran off with a hooker. Um, is that a good jumping off point? It's always a good jumping off point to talk about girlfriends, of course. Uh, I mean, so my life story began very early on. I was there at the time. I was born at a very early age. Um, I wasn't. I hadn't even turned one when I was born, and I was raised by a pack of wolves, which was fun. And um, I always thought that's what it was like in the north. It was like that in the north. So I was born in Yorkshire, um, grew up in in Nottingham, went down south of London, 
and um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was kind of an aspiring soccer player, but I actually wasn't that good. So um, I actually went to university, studied physics, um, realised I didn't understand anything that they were talking about. So I went into community work and radio instead. And, um, and then the point is the girl I was dating, um, she left me for a hooker. Uh, which was a bit hurtful at the time. Um, for the Americans, what the gentlemen in Britain are talking about is um, there is a position in... Uh, it's kind of like a lineman in football or even maybe the, the, the kind of uh, the centre tackle. A hooker is a position in rugby and there was a very good gentleman who was at college with us who had just broken into the England team. And um, he was... Very nice gentleman, but very aggressive, as you would have to be to be a professional sportsman. When when I when your girlfriend says I am leaving you for person X, you go well. Thank you very much. It's been nice knowing you because there's <laughs> the best the best of both of you. Yeah, th there's no fighting that. It's like so. Uh, so then that triggered me from uh, to move out of what I was doing, which was community work, as I said, and a little bit of radio, and uh, I moved into an ad agency in London uh, in the late eighties. And from there, it's been 25 years of just joyous fun and um, and good times. And now I work in America at, uh, at a company called General Mills, which uh, I adore and love and had always admired. And um, I'm very grateful to be working here. What was the agency that you started off at in, in London? The agency was called Bose Massini Pollitt, so BMP. So for anybody who uh, remembers it, it was then bought by the Omnicom Network, uh, became a DDB office, and is now Adam and Eve in London. Adam and Eve DB, oh, yeah. DDB. And uh, when I joined, it was uh, it was a brilliant agency that kind of did things like the John Smith's Bitter work, the Foster's Lager work, the Smash Martians, the Cresta Bear. They broke uh, Fry and Laurie in the Alliance and Leicester ads. They did lip-smacking, thirst-quenching Pepsi. They did brilliant advertising. And uh, it was a great, great agency and a great way to just have fun in the 80s in London. Um, but work really hard. So it was um, hard work, uh, but good work and good times. was your dream always to make it to New York or even make it to London and then New York or has everything every kind of step of the journey we're about to discuss sort of happened by accident completely by accident absolutely by accident it's like who would ever want to leave Scarborough who would ever dream of leaving Yorkshire <laughs> this is what I'm thinking you never probably looked out to see because it's on the west coast of Scarborough right am I getting my maths wrong you would have never looked out and seen and gone oh as a young lad wonder what it's like 2,000 miles away would you, when you're living in the epicentre of the world? Yeah, it's actually on the east coast, but you're right. I could have looked out the east coast of Yorkshire and uh, seen all the way around the globe and thought, yes, if it worked for Tom Cruise in that terrible film, it could work for me. For our American listeners, what should we, to educate them, give them some context, what should we compare Scarborough to? The Hamptons, maybe? The Hamptons, yes, before it was built. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that anyone we speak to who's an expat on this show... And Nick and I as well. I don't think either of us ever had this grand desire to move to America. And everyone seems to cite the, yeah, it was never on the agenda. I was just lucky and fortunate to to get the position. And, and I, I guess you're no different. We really should get a guest on who's always wanted to live in America all their life. They're really hard to come by. Yeah, and they, um, I mean, I think it's probably twofold. I, I think the American dream still holds true. I bet you two both watched Love Actually and saw the bit with the, the geeky guy who says, I'm going to go to America. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't work. But yeah, I think 
that definitely played a little in my mindset. Things like Love Actually and sort of Hugh Grant references. Richard Curtis has a lot to answer for. So I guess there's two things. America is vastly attractive, especially in the world of marketing and advertising. Some great things happen over here. But also it's actually a great country, you know, so um, and I think we, we don't see that today. Um, it, it was obviously a place that people went to in the 1800s and 1900s, but it's still a great country. There's space, there's countryside. The Americans don't give themselves the credit, but they're actually very nice as people. Um, and yet the other side of it is but England's a brilliant place as well, isn't it? So why would you leave behind the pub? The, the English Premier League, you know, uh, nice PG tips, The Guardian newspaper, ITV, Channel 4, the BBC. Why would you walk away from that? So it's a, it's a tough trade. The NHS. The NHS is, is, is the biggest one. You can get, you must have found in, I, I mean, you said at the top of our recording that you knew the, the, the equivalent of position to a hooker in American football, which shows you you have learned a thing or two since you've been over here, but surely you've tracked down PG tips because it was the first thing on my agenda I have. I've got in my cupboard, actually. I can get them out in a sec. When I shut up, hobnobs, PG tips, uh, actually not PG tips, Yorkshires. Yeah, I've got oh, hobnobs. Um, for, for the benefit of the tape, Ivan Pollard's just got some chalky hobnobs out. I got hobnobs <laughs> right on the table. I have a cup of PG tips right in my mug right here. Good man, that's the way to do it. It's like I didn't really leave England and come to America. I just bought England with me. You bought the best bits about England too. The best yeah. parts of America, because um, General Mills and I, I'm assuming I, I haven't fact checked where you're actually dialing in from, but is um, Minneapolis, right? That's in, right. Yeah, because New York's easy. Nick, you know only too well because it was your birthday recently, wasn't it? Um, and I know what they got you at work because I was a key decision maker in that. Um, but you got English snacks and it, they're really easy to source in New York because people are willing to pay. Fifteen dollars for they're a... just so expensive, yeah. Like Fairway is my local supermarket, and it has an English aisle full of hobnobs and Ribena and Pringles, and they just cost like twenty dollars each. But you can find them. But is that the same in Minneapolis? Well, it depends. Uh, do you really know how much your hobnobs cost? Because I'm Yorkshire, remember? I know exactly how much everything costs. Anyway. We want the price per hobnob, please, not the packet. They're one thirty nine in the UK, aren't they? Something like that. Well, how much do you think they cost in America? These cost me four seventy nine here. It's not cheap, but it's still delicious. But then so is a lot of American stuff as well. So I'm quite happy eating my Oreos too. Well, not staying on brand. I was about to say on brand, but that's Mondelez, isn't it? Oreos. That is, well, in fact, General Mills, if I was eating a snack bar, I would be eating a Nature Valley bar because they are f freaking gorgeous. And uh, <laughs> when you think of the things, I mean, my house is just full of General Mills products. But the best thing General Mills makes in America is cereal, obviously. And uh, I'm, I'm now very rapidly approaching 60. And uh, the General Mills cereal is what's keeping me going. I'm just having a look. We've got Cheerios, we've got Cinnamon Toast Crunch, we've got Lucky Charms. Yeah, all the classics. They are great and they are very, very good for you. They keep your heart healthy. My, I, I'll bet you my resting heart rate is lower than both of you. Uh, almost certainly. My resting heart rate is in the 40s because of the cereal I eat and the milk keeps you fit and healthy. So uh, I can still, I, on Saturday I rode 70 miles on my bicycle. Our last Brit that we had on the show um, guy called Peck, um, Roper Peckham Cooper. He's done the Trans-American cycle, bridge to bridge. That is amazing. That Big respect, Roper Peckham Cooper. Yeah, he was the youngest man at the time, actually, to do the um, Lands Enter John O'Groats. I do think there's a, uh, you know, there's a re 
currents of people staying, the joy of just getting out and cycling a bike and and oh. going for a run and swimming in a lake and stuff like that. So it's hey, um, it's fun. So Minneapolis is a lovely place to be. Uh, that's where General Mills is headquartered. It's it's got it's in a hundred countries around the world with over a hundred brands, but. Uh, 80% of its money comes from North America, and uh, it's a cracking business with great people and some great brands that you'd know, like Pillsbury and Betty Crocker, and like you say, Hagen Lucky Dass. Charms, Hagen Dass. In North America, it's that's handled with a, a Freneri Nestle partnership, um, but it's Hagen Dass is one of our brands. Old El Paso, you know, some great stuff. Minneapolis must have been, or must be, particularly an interesting place. Uh, to be in America at the moment, and certainly has been for the last six months, is it yeah. really was the epicenter of um, the kickstarting of um, the Black Lives Matter. Well, kickstarting is the wrong way to describe it, actually, because it's been going on for a while. But the, maybe the hub of the unrest in in America around the Black Lives Matter movement was in Minneapolis, right? Um, yeah. I think it would be fair to say. What's that been like living? in amongst it and um i don't know are you, are you in the city you kind of in the suburbs it must be so, a really fascinating place to live because growing up in the uk i we have such a different lived experience to america and yeah it, it, it's just completely different dynamics um what's it been like so you you get a heightened level of understanding of kind of you, you know the deep systemic inequality um in this society and uh, you know remember I lived before here I lived seven years in Atlanta uh, so the deep south and then you come to you know a midwest state that is a democrat state and um, and yet still the iniquity in education in 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 civil kind of opportunity in business all of it is is wrong and the George Floyd thing was disgraceful. I mean, he was murdered without a shadow of a doubt. Um, if the police had a video of somebody kneeling on somebody's neck and they had captured that video with 20 witnesses standing around, somebody would have been arrested. And, um, you know, may George Floyd rest in peace. But what, what he started off is he catalyzed, he recatalyzed, because this has been going on for years, you know, this kind of the fight for equality and fairness and uh, it catalyzed it in Minneapolis and as I say you know it's um it's a state that is 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 democratic and kind of peopled with good people as is most of America um, and yet it can still do things like this and put up with it so it's it's good I think it was a it's the next chapter in a very long book that will will eventually lead to change absolutely I think um, on a slightly different tone, uh, I know Minneapolis predominantly because I'm a massive Prince fan and he obviously lived in Paisley Park. You a Prince fan, Ivan? Big Prince fan. I remember going to see him at uh, the Wembley Exhibition Centre in the, in the 90s when he was on the Kiss tour, which was, uh, was great. And then went to see him when he was on the Cream tour as well, which uh, somebody had to explain the meaning of most of the lyrics. But yeah, big Prince fan. I thought he was great. <laughs> Have you been to Paisley Park? I haven't, which is, um, but but then neither have I been to Graceland, and and you know yeah. neither did I go to Penny Lane. So uh, I think I like the music more than I like the mythology. What's currently on the iPod? I've got the old. Here was the. Uh, this was great marketing at the time because uh, 
I'm showing everybody my very first generation first generation iPod. Do you remember that with the spin wheel? Spin wheel that has the yeah. um, what game was it that had on there? It had that. I just played that game and I listened to some forty one little asteroids game and stuff. So that's the original iPod, which was beautiful marketing. You know, ten thousand songs in your pocket. I remember seeing the things and I'm thinking, this is this is great. So uh, it's cool. But what's on my iPod right now is um, maybe kind of uh, one old school thing, um, which is, you know, the hits of the 80s, which uh, I had it on random the other day. And as I was on the running machine, up comes Flashdance. So you can't get better than that. But the new ones are Dua Lipa's new album. Uh, there's a brilliant song on that called Break My Heart. I have, I actually, I have I revealed this, Nick, before on a previous um, episode? I'm actually a, a DJ on the side. Um, oh. And the last gig I did, I had a couple lined up, but obviously pandemic, I, all yeah. the weddings have been blown up. You can't be a real up. DJ if you still use the word gig. Yeah, you can, what am I meant to call it? <laughs> I'm with you, Ivan. Wait till you hear his DJ name. I mean, Why am I getting ganged up on? Yeah, my DJ name's not good either. We don't need to dwell too much on it. But DJ it, but... Hammer. That's what you should be. DJ Hammer instead of Hammer. That would work. Hammer would be way better. It's, probably... it's actually the Hamburglar, Ivan, which is arguably even worse. Both of you. For the benefit of the tape, you're both getting the middle finger. <laughs> but the point I was trying to make about Dua Lipa is that she makes great music. And I was at a wedding. I was DJing a wedding. The gig was at a wedding for both of you. Uh, in Dorset uh, last summer and the uh, mother of the groom kept coming over and being like play Dua Lipa, play Dua Lipa, play Dua Lipa and I was just like giving it short thrift and eventually sends the husband over Jonathan, it's Boo and Jonathan Powell for the, be- for the benefit of listeners at home Jonathan comes over and he's like if you don't play that Dua Lipa song for my wife mate, you're not coming to the wedding the wedding was in Argentina so obviously I was, you know, I'm going to play Dua Lipa played it the whole dancer went mad. It was the only thing they danced to all night was Julita. Well, she's great. And have you looked at her backstory? Fascinating. Fascinating backstory. Everybody out there on the podcast. I'm not aware of it. Do you mind just giving me a quick synopsis? No, I want everybody to find it out for themselves. Yeah, go go have Dua Lipa's background. And, uh... She's one of these people, I guess, unlike a lot of the uh, commercially manufactured artists of the 90s and early noughties, not naming names, but Britney Spears, definitely naming a name. Um, who couldn't really sing, didn't really have much of a... It was very artificial, the way they built their stardom, which is, I think that's kind of a fair thing to say. People can disagree, but Dua Lipa is one of those people that genuinely has a fascinating backstory, can sing, can dance, has personality. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we need to talk to our producer, really, and see... Not that Ivan it hasn't been fantastic having you on, an absolute pleasure, but wouldn't it be great... Yeah. We'll get you on for a guest appearance with Dua Lipa if we can get her on. No, that would be just wrong. So get a new album. So that's on there. And then the second one is uh, a a trio of sisters that I don't know if they've made it big yet. They're called Haim. H-A-I-M. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen them live. Yeah. So they're they're good. And their new album called Women in Music Part 3 is um is actually a departure from what they've had but i essentially that came out a couple of weeks ago and i've got that and that's on the playlist as well and then pretty obviously you know Ooh are cantona the great song from the leeds united team from 1992 that's on my ipod i'd be shocked if with the you know the recent promotion that there wasn't something football orientated or oriented on the on the on the ipod um do, do you have uh, kids out here 
Yes, I do. Um, my, my question are was... You, are you suggesting Ivan's getting his musical influence from his kids? No, I kids. wasn't! <laughs> no, I wasn't! You'd sit there and you'd go, two things. Number one, I mean, there's some old school stuff on there. Like, I'm a big Paul Weller, the jam fan, which is even predates even you two. No, I love Paul Weller. That's all over there as well. But the my... kids, my kids are six years old, twins, and a ten-year-old. And then you go, oh, they're too young to influence you. They know everything going on. They tick-tock all day and... They can sing the words to Hamilton along with the... Uh, there's one place where one of the guys speaks 19 words in three seconds and they can do the same thing. So my, my criticism wasn't, you're clearly getting your music from your kids. My question was actually going to be around the fact that I obviously shared that my, my friends, Billy and Esther, have just had their um, baby. And they're actually... And this is a conversation I have with lots of expats. I think, I, I don't know, Nick, if we've talked about it much. Um, I think we've talked about it in the pub over a pint, but... It, as an expat living here, there's the eternal question of like, do you bring up, if you're not quite at the stage of having children, do you bring up a family in America? And like, uh, if, you know, if your wife was pregnant, does that spell the kind of like death knell for living out here? And does it mean you go back and raise your kids in the UK? Um, I think you're one of, I, I don't know many people that have decided that the right thing to do would be to raise their kids in america weirdly most people maybe it's just i keep bad company and everyone's like no i could never bring my kids up out here i don't want them turning into brats and having american accents which i'm assuming i wouldn't dare call them brats but i'm assuming they're gonna have american accents aren't they or maybe you're ensuring that you talk to them enough put on put on the ipod at night with a voice recording of you and your uh your still very english accent uh my three-year-old when, when the 10-year-old was three when he started really talking, he sounded like exactly like Maida from Cars. And uh, I found it hilarious. And he still, he now talks with a nice Minnesotan accent. Why not? Wow. I mean, it could have happened even in, I'm just thinking Cars might be one of the first things I ever watched with my cousin. Yeah. When I was like 13, when, when she was born, you could have got that. He could have got that accent living in the North. Could have done. Could have done. But he... Probably. um. He's, his latest passion is obviously making YouTube videos, TikTok videos, and he wants to be an actor. And so he's teaching himself accents. So I'll go upstairs and there's a Russian in the bathroom. And uh, and then the next day it's a Sweden and an Australian. And bizarrely, the one that he's worst at is he'll, he'll, I'll come up and he'll go, Hello, Dad. How are you, mate? Are you doing all right? <laughs> that gives a lot of a twist. <laughs> It's interesting. I'm surprised that he's not wanting to be an influencer, actually, because we're seeing a lot of kids, even through our website, we get these weird messages, which are actually a bit depressing, of people saying, you know, I want to be an influencer. Uh, how can you help me build a YouTube channel? Um, and instead of being an actor or a footballer, that's what people want to be now. Yeah, and that's what they're doing. Uh, he sees it as a route to, you know, he... Yeah, you could idolise Evan Tube or, you know, uh, Jojo Siwa and you can see where they've got to or, or Bieber and, you know, the internet is a great thing. And, um, yeah, the the six-year-olds are making TikTok videos. Um, you know, obviously, we're not letting them post them, but they, they believe that that is what, what you do to make friends. Yeah, it's fascinating. And the talent, the talent I find unreal. Like, I didn't realise that humans had the propensity to to dance so well or like sing so well or lip sync or like the creativity on display is is, is amazing. I, I don't personally TikTok, but I, I have a girlfriend who I think the first thing she does every morning when we wake up is 
rather than give me a kiss on the cheek or go and make me a cup of coffee is fire up TikTok for 30 minutes of of content. And I'm just always blown away with what I'm... She's just so transfixed on it. But you're right about the creativity. The, the, the tools that people have at their disposal now to express themselves and connect and imagine things, um, that is amazing. The pressure to be creative and to stand out, I think, is another thing that we're not managing very well. Um, so so it's uh, I think it's fascinating to think what impact this is having on the brains of people who are growing up right now. Yeah, it's really interesting. And on, on that, sorry, Nick, to, to jump on one more time, I can see you've got a burning question. I just saw that uh, PepsiCo brand uh, Doritos has um, is about to launch or has just launched a campaign um, which is trying to get members of the public to, de uh, to design and create their next advert. Um, and I think there's a cash prize of something like $150,000 to design, you know, to build their latest advert. And I imagine at a time like this, it's a super smart initiative because production's difficult right now, a bit of an understatement. Um, the classic TV ad is a difficult thing to produce or it's not, it's hard to produce it in the same form as you would have done last year or years prior. Um, and the, the dearth of creators out there who could potentially build it is more than it ever has been because of things like YouTube's rise and the rise of creators on YouTube and things like TikTok. I'm really interested to see the results of that. Well, number one, dearth, right word? The dearth, dearth. is, you, you mean the, 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 uh, the surfeit, the plethora, the cornucopia, the, 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 the richness, the fertile, fecund ground. Someone's of... been getting the thesaurus out, haven't oh, they? Oh, I told you, 1970, <laughs> so it works. His, um, his, first of all, that is one of the oldest tricks in the book. It's been going on since the 1920s. Wow. crowdsourcing advertising and uh, and getting people to produce them and, and all this sort of stuff. I mean, that agency I told you about, they um, uh, that they they had some of those things around Alliance and Lesser in the 80s, but it, it's been going on forever. What I do think is there's a richness of talent out there that, by the way, is not just the, the there's professional talent out there that's working from home who can make an ad. And mm. to go back to Dua Lipa, if you want to watch what is possible today, watch Dua Lipa sing um, Break My Heart on the Jimmy Fallon show with her boyfriend making the video for it. And it looks better than anything I saw growing up on Top of the Pops. It's, uh, it's amazing. And it's just home video. And, you know, using his his digital camera and a phone and a little bit of computer software so yeah you can make great things happen out there and um and i think that is it's an interesting thing for doritos to capture that uh in, for instance general mills is um one of our brands is using to go back to the george floyd we're, we're kind of promoting um you know a four black voices young black voices on tiktok and as they elevate their story and elevate their voice with our help to promote them um as they get more more uh, viewers we'll start creating a fund that goes and funds uh, creative talent black creative talent at colleges in north america and um you know the the quality of what they're able to do is amazing when we're um talking about TikTok and all these new emerging platforms. As a global CMO, um, I guess increasingly social is becoming a more prominent, important part of your strategy across the board. Uh, how much of your role is ensuring you are up to date on those emerging platforms and, uh, and what that younger audience is trying to do? Well, I think 
the the we don't think platform first we think consumer first pretty obviously you know what where are the people that we want to connect to and what are they doing and what influences them so um you talked about influencers earlier on, you know, influencers are everybody from LeBron James to my six-year-old doing TikTok. You've got to pick mm-hmm. the right one for the consumer on the right platform with the right message. Um, so I think um, you're onto something, Nick, that goes the way you connect with your consumer is um, is increasingly uh, dynamic. You know, you can't plan six months out for what's going to happen. I mean, we're talking about TikTok now, you know, reputedly 2 billion downloads on TikTok around the world. But anybody remember Yik Yak? Yeah, I think I know the name, yeah. Yeah, you think of the name, and that was the hot thing two years ago. And, uh, you know, so you've got to be dynamic all the time and and understanding exactly how to do it and and sitting there going, you know, the average age of somebody on Facebook who's still sort of like active and using it is way over 38 now, I think. So... um, so you yeah. have to stay relevant, uh, connected to it. But equally, you have to stay on top of what's happening with Peacock and NBC Universal in North America and how, you know, live streaming the Premier League is actually just turning into an individual, like, like we said, an individual TV ad that I could use data to personalise not just the connection, but also the content and the offer. And I can tie it immediately back to purchase on a phone. So you've got to stay on top of all of that. But as a CMO... I need to be aware of what can happen, um, but I need to be able to uh, empower and enable uh, all the people that I support to actually activate it. So, um, yeah, it's not you can't sit on an ivory tower and pretend that you don't know what consumers are doing in the supermarket or on their phones. What is your day to day, Ivan? Because we speak to CEOs and CMOs, but you're you are not just a CMO, but you are a global CMO, which is obviously includes a huge number of territories for General Mills. But then I look at the number of brands under the umbrella and it is hundreds. So like, how on earth are you the focal point for all of that? Like, what do you do day to day? Like I said, I'm not I'm not really the focal points. And, um, you know, there are, there are over a thousand marketers around the world on, on General Mills and, and my job is to support them. So there are three things I think that we can do from the centre to help that. Because if you're... If you're the marketing manager on Old El Paso in Australia, I, I can't tell you what to do. Um, no way. You know, like we said, it's dynamic. It's moving all the time. Um, and pretty obviously the brand needs to stand for the same thing around the world. That's why we have global brands make more money in more places with less effort. But the activation of that in Australia is down to the Australians. So the three things that I can do as a global CMO is number one, uh, kind of like um, uh, provide essentially the capabilities the, to keep pushing the tools and the, the practices and the training for people to kind of keep things moving forward. The second that I'm mission I'm on is to elevate creativity because uh, for all of the stuff about data and digital, you know, you can connect with me in the most brilliant moment, but if you say the wrong thing, I'm less likely to act. So creativity is um, is still important. And then the third thing together is wire together a community so ideas can spread. So that's what I do as a CMO. Um, and then at the center, you know, you can set strategic leadership, you can, uh, you can leverage scale, uh, and you can seed innovation too. So we do a bit of that. Um, on the CMO title and on this topic, I read so much day-to-day in industry press about the demise of the role of the CMO and yep. loads of companies just doing away with it, particularly at the pande- uh, during the pandemic. I've seen loads of CMOs step aside, not being replaced at quite 
sizable businesses globally and nationally. Why do you think that is that some companies see the need for having the role and others just don't don't get it and, and, and have got rid of it and haven't had it for the last five years or so? Well, uh, so as we've been on this video call, Nick's been drinking his Coca-Cola. You know, they, uh, they got rid of the title CMO a couple of years ago and now they bought it back. So um, if you think that the advent of digital has got rid of the need for marketing, then either you're in a very different business because the product will speak for itself or you've got no competition. If you do not have a marketer helping drive marketing, your business will not fare as well. So still over 70% of the you know, Fortune 500 companies have a chief marketing officer. And even when they change the name of it to chief growth officer or chief engagement officer or chief experience officer, it's still marketing. So um, it's a tweak to the job title more so than the actual role and function. But we also, as a, an industry, need to sort out the kind of the, the best uh, symbiosis between the old skills of uh, a traditional marketer and the new skills of a data and analytics person uh, and those capabilities. And when you get those working together, the symbiosis creates things of the size of Amazon. Um, and when, when you get it wrong, you create things like Yik Yak. Okay? So there's a technology-based platform that didn't succeed. Why not? Well, because they never marketed it. So I suppose, what, what is next for you, Ivan? We've sort of covered this, uh, this life story, and you've obviously been in the US quite a long time. Are you planning on being in Minneapolis for quite a while? Um, are you planning on kind of heading back to the UK at some point? I don't know, is the honest answer. I mean, I've always, there's a lovely Schopenhauer quote that uh, that was like, um, mankind and womankind, humankind spends too much time either reflecting on the past or anticipating the future and therefore misses the moment of the present. And uh, I've always lived my life like that, that whatever comes along. I've, I've actually honestly never had a plan or an ambition, um, apart from being a ballet dancer when I was six, but that was another story. And... Um, and and I think you just make the most of what lies ahead of you. And um, and my whole theosophy is have a good time and help others have a good time. And uh, and if that works, it it will take me where it takes me. Um, my family's here. My the company I work for I really admire and I'm honoured to work for it. So um, I don't have a plan to leave it. And they might they they hopefully don't have a plan to leave me yet so uh, we'll see what happens but whatever comes along make the most of it and um not quite like like uh voltaire would have us think but um but close one one just other question before we end is did you ever have an entrepreneurial streak in you did you ever think oh i could i, I might want to start my own business at some point or have any entrepreneurial ideas um no i didn't but that doesn't mean that i didn't start my own business which i did with two friends in the uh in the uh, early 90s we created a company called unity and coined the phrase connections planning and started doing owned and shared and paid and integrated media thinking so how do you apply media principles, we were all media folk, you know, to the advent of digital, but also what would happen if you put your, changed your packaging and put a name on the front of a Coca-Cola can. So those were the sorts of things. We started that off um, and uh, we sold that company. And uh, after six years, 
and that was a very successful company. We used that that kind of company to do the communications planning, the connections planning, to launch episode one, two, and three for Star Wars all around the world. You get to go to Lucas Valley Ranch, sit at a table, meet George Lucas, and uh, he asks your advice. You kind of feel pretty cool as an entrepreneur that you started a company that did that. Hang on a minute, we need to dig into this a bit more. So you, you went and met George Lucas and probably some of the other cast members, and they entrusted in your young business to launch Star Wars. Uh, well, well, tell us a bit more about that. Who did you meet? I worked for Wyden and Kennedy for a while in Amsterdam, and I worked with a brilliant guy called Jim Ward on the launch of Windows 98. That's how long ago it was, where we used the Rolling Stones to sing Start Me Up because it was the first iteration of the start button on Windows. Jim went on to be the international marketing director of Lucasfilm, and um, I'd started my company, and he phoned me up and he said, would you be interested in coming over and uh, talking to me? And um, remember, this is the internet just starting. Um, so I went over to meet him. Uh, I thought he might have been winding me up because I had to go to Skywalker Ranch on Lucas Valley Road. And I was like, yeah, that's probably... Not it's probably not real. But I turned up and it was, and it was an amazing adventure. And... Uh, there's things that I can't talk about, but, but you know, the things you can is is turning up on Skywalker Ranch and and meeting with Jim and George Lucas. And they asked, you know, how would we think about getting the franchise back up and uh, launching it? And obviously it was, um, so they ran the first ever webisodes when you couldn't even play video full screen on your computer. I mean, Jim was a genius and he just needed us to help shape the package about what you do, what you pay for, what you don't, how you use PR, how you use what is, you know, influences in those days. You could even go back and still watch on YouTube the webisodes about the making of episode one. And uh, you, you, we got to do all sorts of interesting things and then partnering with Fox Films around the world to release it, distribute it and market it. And how's that different in... America, where you know you now had dads that remember going to see it when they were little that were going to take their sons and daughters, or releasing it in somewhere like China that had never seen the original Star Wars. So super interesting, and we did that for episode one, two, and three. So you start a company. The first check we got was you know a little project with the Evening Standard. The next check we got, literally, and I've still got a photograph of it, is George Lucas's signature on a Lucasfilm check. We love a celeb anecdote on this podcast. Before we end, any other celeb anecdotes? None that, none that you want to hear about. <laughs> no? No. So you work on Coca-Cola and you work, you know, on the FIFA World Cup and the, 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 um, and the, the Olympics and stuff, and you meet some incredible people that has been an honour to me. And you get to see them kind of as celebrities, but also where they're trying to work out how they're going through life and it's it's an amazing experience and one one that i've got a long list of very interesting celebrities but the best one ever was meeting norman hunter at a dinner where me and a mate took his dad on his 80th birthday to elland road to one of those kind of vip things and and we met hunter and and eddie gray and uh peter lorimer these are leeds united players former players but Celebrity is not what it's about. It's like reality with people is is much more interesting. Yeah, that's my experience of it too. Will, have you got anything else to say? I'm, I'm conscious we need to end this. I mean, I don't podcast. want it to end, but um, I haven't got. I'm never the one with the particularly interesting questions, Nick. Yeah, we um, noticed that. 
So Nick, what you got? <laughs> Finally, a guest has supported my theory. I just like the chit chat and I like to talk about the things that I think most people find fascinating rather than the big ones. I've got one more question, Ivan. What what is your favourite what is your favourite product of any at General Mills? I love Hagen to bits. I like literally ate an entire pint of Dolce de Leche for tea yesterday. And uh, I love that. But I've actually grown up on Hagen on General Mills products when you don't even realise in England that they were they were founded by General Mills. So, um, you know, Honey Nut Cheerios has been, as I said, when I was a community worker and my girlfriend was running off with a hooker, you find solace in a bowl of Cheerios without a shadow of a doubt. And that's still true 40 years later. And what a point to end it on. Ivan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, And I, yeah, hope you enjoyed chatting with Nick and I. I'm serious, move to a new city. We're moving to New York. I should probably buy a place in the city first. Are you here for business or pleasure? Hopefully both.